Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Let's take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 3. We're going to go from Luke chapter 3 all the way into chapter 4 today. And Jesus, one of the ways that he taught was that he he taught by asking questions. He He would just kind of dialogue back and forth with you. And in Matthew 16, he asked his disciples a question. He says, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? See, it it matters what we say. He says, "Who who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what Peter affirms, our text today is going to make extremely clear. The way I have no doubt about my love for Kim, the way I have no doubt about my love for my boys, about my calling, about my my commitment and love for our church, the way I have no doubt about those things, Luke wants us to have no doubt about who Jesus is. From this text, we are going to see, we can be sure that Jesus is the Son of God because of the Word of God. We can be sure that He is the Son of God because of the Word of God. And we're going to look into the Word together, but let's pray first. Father, we ask that You would help us as we open the Scriptures together. God, thank You that You have granted us uh, the blessing of having Your Word and Your Spirit to help us interpret it rightly. I pray for for help to do that right now and to speak in such a way that, that encourages those who who share the common faith, Lord God, with me. I pray that you would bless our time right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus is the Son of God. It's affirmed in his anointing. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. It says, Now when all the people were being, were, were, were baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with you, I am well pleased. Jesus says that he had been baptized and he was was praying. Now, Jesus, he submits to baptism even though he had no sin. Even though he had no sin, he, he takes this step and he explains why in Matthew 3. It says, John would have prevented him saying, I need to baptize, be baptized by you. And do you come to me? So John's like, I shouldn't be the one that's doing this. But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now. For thus it, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. His submission to baptism was an act of solidarity with us. It was to fulfill all righteousness. He goes into the 
waters of baptism, and that symbolizes our sin and judgment. He steps into our mess and into our wickedness, and he's symbolically engulfed by the waters of judgment. In his baptism, what Jesus is doing is he is identifying with his people. He expresses his intent to take the judgment that you and I deserve. What Jesus is saying in his baptism, he's, he's saying, he's saying, I am in it with you. And that's why Isaiah 53 verse 12 says he would be numbered with the transgressors. And it says that the heavens were open. This is God revealing himself to humanity. And then it says that the Holy Spirit descended on him like on, on him, let me just read it. And then it says, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. The, the Spirit came down. There was, this was a visible thing. People could see. This was not a private experience. This was public, a public display. This is called a theophany. It's a theophany. This is the, this is the visible appearance of God's invisible spirit. And the Holy Spirit, what he's doing here is he's anointing Jesus for ministry. See, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus resisted temptation. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus preached the kingdom. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he worshiped the Father. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he performed many powerful Miracles. It's through the power of the Spirit that he offered up his body on the cross. And it's through the power of the Spirit that he was raised so that we could have eternal life. From the womb to the tomb to the throne, the Spirit was his constant companion. His constant companion. Jesus, Jesus, he was the truly Spirit-filled Man, he walked by the Spirit. The Spirit empowered his entire ministry. Acts 10 said, God anointed, Acts 10, verse 38, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The Spirit that was with him is also in us. He lives in us, And as we walk daily and keep in step with the Spirit, we can experience victory and empowerment in our lives. Then it says a voice came from heaven. This is the, the main verb in the entire passage. This is the climax of it. Nothing matters more than what the Father is about to say. And he says who Jesus is using Old Testament language. First he says, you are my beloved son. This is from Psalm 2, verse 7. Psalm 2 says, the, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Psalm 2, what it does is that it talks about the sovereignty of the son in the midst of, of opposition and rejection. When God says this, he is saying, Jesus, you are my only son, the sovereign king. You rule all. And then he says, with you, I am well pleased. And this is from Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 says, behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. He, the father was always pleased with 
the Son, in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. There's that picture again of anointing. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. We hear that word, justice. And we know right now all of us are longing for justice, especially with the things that we see going on around us that are disturbing, that are frustrating, that are confusing even at times. But we need to know that as Christians, we always have hope when it comes to justice, because when Jesus comes, he will execute perfect justice. And this is why we we are called to pray right now. We're called to be wise in what we do and what we say. We need the wisdom of God so much right now for the times that we are in to know the best ways to live and to act. And we need to remember in all this that God has shown his commitment to justice at the cross. And so we need to pray for those who are committing acts of injustice. Pray that they would believe, that they would confess and repent of the sin that they're committing. And because I believe so strongly that we need to pray, I'm going to pray right now. And so I'm asking you to join me. Father, I pray that you, uh, in your grace, Lord, would you come? I pray that we would long for the return of Jesus Christ and pray for his return. I ask you, Jesus, that you would come and that you would give justice, that you would bring peace in the midst of all of this chaos and sin and destruction that we experience and are experiencing. We ask, Father, that you would make our church and the people who say T North is their home, that you would make us wise, Lord God, in these times. That we would not quiet our voice, but that we would be wise with our voice and that we would encourage one another in the midst of the things that we're seeking to do. We pray, Lord God, for your grace and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be patient because we live in in a time where there will be some justice, but there'll never be perfect justice until you come. And so I pray you'd help us to both be wise and active, yes, but also patient, knowing, Lord God, that you are the one that has to do it and complete it. So we pray for your help and we pray that you would increase our trust. Give us us, uh, faith, Lord God, and dependence. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Father loves his promised son, the sovereign king, the suffering servant. His life, his life was an act of obedience and that his his life pleased the Father. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in Christ right now, you need to understand that when you placed your faith in him, that perfect obedience was his, all of his righteousness was counted to us and so the father is pleased with us as well because when he sees us he sees his son and so god is always pleased with us as we live a life of confession and repentance bearing fruit in keeping with repentance and we shouldn't miss right now in this passage that every member of the trinity is present the son is praying The Spirit is descending, and the Father is speaking. This highlights the doctrine of the Trinity, one of the core doctrines of our faith. Here's how we talk about it in our doctrinal statement. We believe in the living, in the one living and true God, eternally exists 
in perfect unity as three equally and fully divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Godhead while existing, dis each member of the Godhead, sorry, while e executing distinct but complementary roles in redemptive history has precisely the same nature, attributes, and being, and is equally worthy of the same glory and honor and obedience. It's a core doctrine of our faith. And when we think about our salvation, we need to understand that it is a Trinitarian act. The Father ordains, the Son accomplishes, and the Holy Spirit applies. And we are to give glory to God for that, our triune God. Jesus is the Son of God. It's affirmed in his anointing. It's also affirmed in his genealogy. It's affirmed in his genealogy. Luke gives us a list of names, and I'm not going to uh, read all of uh, the names, but before he gives us all these names, he gives us the age of Jesus. He says in verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, and being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. And in, in telling us that Jesus is 30, Luke is saying he has reached the age of maturity. He is ready now to enter into ministry. And that phrase, as was supposed, reminds us that, that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus, that his birth was a miracle. Again, we need to look back into the gospel. We, we talked about this earlier around, around Christmas time. Luke 1 says, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? This is when Gabriel comes and he, and he says, you are going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. And, and, and she's like, she's not doubting. She's just saying, how is it going to happen? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Luke's genealogy reflects this. The names he gives, they go from the, the past uh, to the present. And, or, or from the, the present to the past. There, there, there are list, people on the, name who, uh, on the list who are known and there are unknown people and like how there's a debate right now about who who's who's better who's the greatest Michael Jordan or LeBron James there's debate over the genealogy uh, that Luke gives some people wonder is he giving the royal line is he giving us the legal line which one is it now no matter where you fall on the side of the deba debate everybody agrees that that what Luke is making clear is the connection that Jesus has to three specific people. David, if you look in verse 21, he says, he says uh, the son of Nathan, the son of David. And then Abraham in verse 34 says the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. And then Adam in verse 38, the, the son of Adam. He's, he's making these connections. See, the connection that Jesus has to David shows us that Jesus is the promised son of David who would be king forever. His connection to Abraham tells us that Jesus is the one who is going to bring and ultimately brings the blessing that is promised to 
the nations. And then his connection to Adam shows us that Jesus here represents all humanity, that Jesus Christ, he will do what Adam, the first Adam in the garden, failed to do, that he failed to do. He, Jesus, he was loyal to his father, where Adam was not. Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience, where Adam did not. And in his perfect obedience, he crushed the head of our enemy. And now, Jesus, and this is where all the hope is. Now Jesus, the Son of God, what he has done is he has started the process of restoring everything, everything, all things that Adam lost. And this is why Jesus is the hope of humanity. This is why we put all our hope in Christ. Our hope goes nowhere else because Jesus is our hope. He's the Son of God. It's revealed in his anointing. It's revealed in his genealogy that affirms it. It's also affirmed in his victory. It's affirmed in his victory. Look at verse, uh, chap- uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. So Luke says Jesus is full of the Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Jesus is filled with the Spirit, Luke says. And that the, the Spirit now leads him into the wilderness. All of this is being directed by the, the Spirit. This is part of the plan of God. And the, the Greek word here for tempted means to be tempted and tested. It's to be tempted and tested. And so what's happening here is that Satan is tempting the Son of God, and the Father's tempting, or testing, not tempting, testing the Son. And the word wilderness, it should remind us of the Israelites, of the Israelites who were in the wilderness for 40 years, and they were tested, and they failed the test. And so Adam failed. The people of Israel failed failed the test. But Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the true Israel, he will not fail. He will have victory. And the temptation, they start, they start when Luke says Jesus had eaten nothing and that he was hungry. Jesus meets Satan in the midst of hunger and weakness. And this encounter should remind us that we have that we have a real enemy, that Satan's not a myth, that the, the devil truly is real, and that he is dangerous, and that he comes at us when we are weak. Peter, 1 Peter 5 says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Why? Looking for who he can devour. Resist him. You see that? Resist him. How? Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Satan wants you to think that no one's struggling the way you are, but other believers are as well, and we can resist him by staying alert. We can resist him by being dependent on the Spirit who lives in us, and we need to listen for the Spirit and allow him to guide us so we can have victory over 
the enemy. It's through the spirit. That is where the power comes from. In the first temptation, Satan tries to get Jesus to act independently of God. Verse 3, it says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. He wants Jesus here to doubt God's provision. But look at Jesus, verse 4, it says, And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. His reply reveals that our well-being isn't just dependent on food. And food is necessary. I love a good barbecue, but we need more than just physical food. We also need spiritual food. We, we've got to take in the word of God. It's in the word of God that I'm reminded of the character of God, who he is, what he has promised, what he's going to do. It's in the word that I'm reminded about my identity in Christ, who I am, what God has done for me, what he is doing in me, that he started a good work, that he is going to finish it. It's in the word that I'm reminded of what God is doing in the world. It helps me to have perspective as we go to the word, open, praying for the spirit to, to, to show us beautiful things from the word. Our commitment to God grows deeper. Our convictions start to come and guide the way we live our lives. We just we don't just need bread. We don't just need physical food. We also need the spiritual food, the word of God every day. And we need to be intentional and make a plan to actually get in it and then do it and ask the Lord to speak and to deepen us as we listen to him. The second temptation is an invitation to false worship. It says, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you all give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And so he, he, he now shows Jesus all the kingdoms in the world, and he's, he's tempting Jesus to violate the first commandment. He offers him total authority. He says, all of this can be yours. What he's doing is he's offering Jesus a shortcut to power. He's offering him a shortcut to power, but this is not the way of God. The way of God says Jesus must suffer and die for sinners and rise and receive the kingdom. Satan, though, offers him it all on the spot. And what he is doing is he is offering him the crown without the cross. It's an offer of the crown without the cross, but Jesus, though, he is committed to his Father's way and will. Look at verse 8. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and serve, and him only shall you serve. Jesus here says, I, one person, deserves my worship and my service, and it's God the Father. He shows us what it means to love God. It means that we worship Him and serve Him alone. And anytime we choose to follow the ways of Satan and go after the things of the world, what we're doing is we're making Satan our Lord, and our Lord is our Father in heaven. And so we worship and serve Him alone. The third temptation is that He wants Jesus to test God. Verse 9, it says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, 
and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And so he takes Jesus to the top of the temple and he quotes scripture to him, Psalm 91. And he says, he says this to him and then he says, jump. He says, jump, Jesus. He says, if, if God is your father, he will protect you. That's what he has promised. That's what he's trying to tempt him here. And then he's saying, and if you land safely, then everyone will know that you are truly the son of God. He's tempting Jesus to demand a sign instead of taking God at his word. The same way I know that my last name is Makudi. Jesus knows that he is the son of God because he's heard his father's voice. And Satan wants him to doubt that, but he refuses to test God. Look at verse 12. He says, and Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus says, no. He takes his father at his word. See, Satan will try to get us to doubt the word of God. That's, his, that's, his old, that's an old trick. You go all the way back to Genesis. That's what was going on there. Did God really say? He tries to tempt us to not trust the word of God. But when we remember who we are and what our father is has said, we remember that his word is rock solid, that he is faithful, that he will never fail in us in keeping his word and as we follow the word of God and do what he says good comes it doesn't mean it's always easy but there's a blessing that comes to our life and so as children of God we don't we don't tempt God we our test God we trust him we take him at his word because it's rock solid verse 13 says and when he when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. It says every temptation. He, this is, he threw everything he had at Jesus. And he, his departure is a signal of his defeat. This is the first of many TKOs that are to come between Satan and Jesus. This was a heavyweight battle and it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. Jesus clearly wins. He won in the wilderness and on the cross where it looked like he was losing. He won there too. He won the victory and our victory comes through his victory because we're in Christ. And so like Peter, we declare Jesus is the son of the living God, the one who we place all of our hope in, the one who has won, the one who has total victory. And when he comes, we will experience full, complete, and total victory. He will make all things right because of who he is and what he promises to do. We can be sure Jesus is the son of God because of the word of God. He is our savior and our hope is in him alone. In him alone. If you agree with me, say amen. Amen, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your son uh, who uh, we know from your word. We can be confident, we can be sure that he uh, is who he says he is. 
Like Peter says, you are the son of the living God. Would you increase our faith in your son right now? Father, would we rest in the reality that when he comes, he will execute perfect justice? Will we rest in the reality that because we have faith in Christ right now that you are pleased with us? Would we rest in the reality that because of your son, our enemy, ultimate enemy, has been defeated? Father, give us grace, Lord, this week. I confess that it's just it's been a hard week for me personally, and I've, I've needed to hear your word here and to just rest in Jesus Christ, my Savior. Help us all to do that, I pray. God, we need your grace for these times that we're in. And Lord, uh, life is uh, a grind sometimes, but I pray that we would be dependent on the Spirit in the midst of the struggle, knowing that he will lead us, that he will give us strength. Thank you for your son. Thank you that you hear us at all times. Help us to be dependent on you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.